0: I'm Josh Cooperman, and this is Convo by Design. Today on the show, you are going to hear from one of my favorite designers. This is Jen Feldman, an amazing designer with equally strong musical taste. No, really, her musical game is is strong, and you're gonna hear about it. I asked Jen to send me her artist playlist. Look, I I love music. You know that. If you listen to the show, you know how much I love music, and I talk about it all the time. So I asked her for her playlist, and she did. So let's start with this, because, again, I will say this. If you've learned anything about me from this show, it's that I have an absolute passion for music equal to my love of design and architecture. All kinds of music provided it's good. So, and that's the the subjective part, right? So I asked Jen for her list, and here's what she sent me. I'm thinking not in any particular order. Lucas Nelson, Lem Bridges, Teddy Swims, Billy Joel, and it's funny, right next to that, she wrote, duh. Yeah, no, I get it. Fleetwood Mac, Notorious B.I.G., Steely Dan, Taylor John Williams, and the Doobie Brothers. A a side note, by the way, um, every time... I hear a Doobie Brothers song, or I think about the Doobie Brothers, or somebody mentions the, the Doobie Brothers, the first thing I think about is the, the, the quote, which Doobie you be? If you have no idea what I'm talking about, uh, check the show notes. Raj was right. And uh, <laughs> go, go check out that What's Happening episode, because it's, it's funny as hell. Um, anyway, I digress. Uh, Jen, awesome list. Thank you for sending that. It's interesting to me, too, how her design work is as vast and varied as her musical taste. I maintain that there is a strong and unbreakable connection between music and design, if you seek it out, the same way that there is a story woven into every good song. There's a story woven into strong design. Jen knows this. Jen does this masterfully. And you're going to hear how and why. Right after this.
1: I am incredibly proud of Convo by Design in year 10, and I'm equally proud of my partnership with Thermosol. They've been presenting partners of Convo by Design for three years now, and there is a certain amount of pride that comes with saying that the show is presented by the company that is the best in the world at what they do. Thermosol engineers the most exceptional smart shower products and steam shower systems worldwide for a few reasons. They were the first company to design, patent the technology here in the U.S. dating back to 1958. Thermosol, a U.S. brand, a U.S. manufacturer in Round Rock, Texas, employs an engineering team that designs, tests, and continuously refines the product. Their quality control team tests every single steam generator before it departs the factory. Who else does that? Nobody. I have had the pleasure of working with some world-class designers and architects who tell me, and you probably know this, that the idea of luxury has changed and continues to change, especially when clients want a spa-like bathroom. Steam is mandatory. Or it's just not considered a, a, a luxury space. And if you want to add steam, you have one true option. It's Thermosol. And now, Thermosol, the industry leader in steam, bath equipment and technology since 1958, is enhancing their already stellar family of products with new indoor and outdoor luxury saunas. Available in three design configurations, each sauna is handcrafted from clear Western red cedar or Nordic spruce, inspired by the brilliance of Northern European sauna technology and design. A luxury bathroom isn't luxury without steam. If you want luxury, you have one option. It's Thermosol. Check them out at thermosol.com and at thermosol on the socials. I didn't want to lose the moment. I didn't want to lose that train of thought. Um, it is so funny that you say that. So we're, we're talking about living in LA. Yeah. You know, what's you know, what's really interesting. So I had a conversation with a, a, a remarkable creative yesterday and she is in Atlanta. And we were talking about the difference between ITP and OTP in Atlanta, you have inside the perimeter, and uh, OTP uh, is outside the perimeter, and uh, they're very, very different. So, we're talking about LA, and you were telling me about your new office home. What is it called?
2: Uh, yeah, well, we're in finally my, my Jen Feldman grown up uh, family home in the west side of Los Angeles, Cheviot Hills. Um, yes, that's what I was referring to. That's where I'm talking to you from.
1: And it's so different. Each part, people think of LA as like one big city, and and I, I relate that to design. LA is not one big city. It's like yeah. 43 boroughs.
2: 100. Yes, yes. It's a it's a very big small town. I feel that now after many chapters of of living here, it was uh, 18 years for me last week. And there's this part of you that says, am I still here? I can't believe this. Are we like really rooted here? Should I be back in Ohio? You know, there's always that dialogue in my head of have we landed here for good and the reality is I'm raising two teenagers here. So, I'm here.
1: <laughs> you're you're there. Tell me tell me about the journey. Tell me about Nate and Oprah and Ohio oh and L A and in 2007, leading up to 2008, 09, yeah. when everyone thought that the industry was dead because nobody could afford yeah. things, at yeah. least at a certain clientele level, and where you were starting at the time. But but the this this wind beneath your sails yeah. all at once. Yeah. What was what was That's that like?
2: Seven. So. It, it's such an interesting multifaceted conversation about really even in 2008, you know, I was explaining even to someone yesterday, I came from a generation of the nineties. We had to have a job to start our lives. And, you know, it, it was never really taught to us that you were allowed to do something that you also were, or that you love. Like we had hobbies and we went out and had these jobs and they were two very separate things. So as 2008 hit, and I was in a very happy, um, you know, career that I had been building for PR, the, the world was changing, and I think we all bottomed out with this economy, you know, takeover, and all of a sudden we weren't going to make anything. So, what were we doing that we were, you know, really pushing ourselves for when it wasn't really wasn't really there? So, uh, 2007, I. Sign up for this Oprah contest that I'm kind of horrified that I did because it was very not me to be public about anything that I was doing, and I just kind of took this little gamble. We had just moved to I just moved to LA two years before, and I ended up winning this contest. And fast forward to Nate Berkus is at my doorstep, November of 2007, and we are literally flown to Oprah Omni Hotel. uh, All the things. I mean, it was really. Uh, uh, a snapshot of just, I couldn't believe this was happening to me. And all of a sudden I get a phone call. I love what you did. I win this design contest. I did my first townhouse here in Beverly Hills and no training, no experience. I was not a designer, which was the contest. You know, you weren't professional and here I was winning this thing. And all of a sudden the universe was coming back to me saying, can you do this for me? And I was like, no, no, no. I have a job. This is what I, this is my hobby. And I said no to everything. And 2008, the show repeats and my mom in Ohio calls me and says, your show is on again today. And that's when my husband looked at me and said, this is God giving you a second chance at something. You better take another look at this here. And I dipped my toe into thinking, was I allowed to be able to take a job in interior design? I wasn't formally trained. Was this okay for me? And I took this one little bitty, you could laugh. I'm telling you, Josh, it was not even the size of this uh, office that I'm sitting in. But to me, it was like being handed the White House. And I took this one little job and I realized very quickly the intuition of what I had was something... That I wasn't sure I ever needed to be taught. And then it was that day forward that I honed in and said, I'm going to try doing something that I've known my whole life, but I'm going to study it. I'm going to work even harder. And all these years later, I'm sitting here talking to you with a fully articulated, you know, Los Angeles design studio It's a really crazy journey of waking up to listen to a calling that, was just so innate to who I was and being able to tell myself that I was allowed to change a career for myself.
1: So so much to unpack.
2: I know uh, and Oprah changed, <laughs> Oprah changes lives. Let's make okay, sure but, we hashtag that yeah but,
1: but wait a minute. so in all fairness and, and by the yeah. way, not, not disagreeing with you. Um, because what Oprah has done, what's really interesting, because what Oprah has done both publicly and privately, yeah, the things that many people are just not aware of, yeah. is, is nothing short of remarkable. Same thing with Nate. I mean, Nate uh, yeah. and Jeremiah are just a fabulous Incredible. Incredible. couple and and remarkable creatives in their own right, individually, it's just, it's amazing. But what I wanted to sort of drill down yeah. on is this, you know, unpacking this whole thing, because look, um, the design industry, yeah. right? I, I, sometimes, sometimes I make this mistake too, where I, I kind of conflate the design and architecture communities um, yeah. Into, yeah. into one group. They're, they're two different, vastly different groups. But what you've done is you have this experience as a publicist and yeah. you've taken you've taken yes. your, your experience as a publicist, you had an opportunity, you, you knew what to do with it when it happened. You, you still can't plan it, you still can't make it happen, but when it yeah. happened, you were prepared. How did you prepare yourself mentally for that? And what was it aside from the call from your mom that made you say, okay, you know what? Well, the call from your mom, the rerunning of the show and and your husband's advice and then a advice. second
2: phone and and then a second phone call i think i missed that part i i you know wanted to pack it in so i didn't talk myself on on one very big question but the phone call another phone call came in and this time i was like okay and my husband todd was like okay this is let's take another look at this what what do you have to lose and it was that little push over the cliff of like are you, are you giving me permission? You know, I, am a very, um, uh, we, I think we're a generation of people that, you know, followed the rules. And, and I think there were a lot of rules back then that were not what this moment in time, you know, now there's, now we're really on the total opposite end of it, but the, I always knew how to tell stories and I always knew how to visualize And it's a really interesting thing going back to my parents. I was like a three-year-old kid and I was doing these crazy puzzles. And it was like this little mini talent that people would like, you know, my family friends would know. And, you know, Jen could sit down and do these puzzles. And it didn't dawn on me till many moons later that the puzzles were a representation of of my life. I, I knew how to see things and put them together. And I, all these years later realized this was, this was my superpower. I, I could see scale and texture and items and things, and it was just who I was. And once I realized this superpower could be in this world of design, which I loved everything about it. I just hadn't formalized it to something that was a career and allowing myself to say, okay, can I make a living out of this, do something that I love raise my children, be a creative, because when you are creative, I think anytime I tried to stay in the box, it was always this like burst of authenticity that wasn't there for me. Was I working with my hands? Was I moving something around? And then I got to this platform and I said, okay, I can be a businesswoman. I can try and understand Los Angeles in this really crazy way of like entrepreneurial, does everybody work, not work? A little nutty here. And how could I be an entrepreneur, but still have a business, but maybe have a 401k, but not be in golden handcuffs. And it was this toggle for a lot of years for me of letting myself get out of the corporate world or something that was very formal to a total creative field and structure it as a businesswoman. And that I think at the end of the day, I'm the most proud of because you can't really have this conversation in the design world if you don't have that thing. But to learn it and make it such a, a, an extraordinary shaped company is something that I think <laughs> I think ignorance is bliss. Because if somebody had actually put it all on paper, I might have run for the hills. But I didn't know. And all I knew was that I wanted to be really good at this. And I really worked to become really good at this in whatever you know, whatever chapter project moment in time. And it takes a lot of things to fail to figure out what you really needed to to, to do for yourself.
1: But so two, so two, yeah, two parts, two parts to that. The the first is, and I and I, I don't want to gloss over this because I think it's really important, especially now. One, did you suffer from imposter syndrome at the start? And if you did, how did you choke that back?
2: A hundred percent. And it's so interesting. Nobody's really articulated it to me in, in that exact phrase, I think it was proving to myself that I was worthy. I don't think anybody else was questioning it, but I didn't have maybe my big studio like I have now. And I was working off the dining room table and, you know, the truth is the older I get and the more I now look in the rearview mirror and I say, Oh my God, look at all these things you hurtled over, you know, who were my go-to vendors, my workrooms, you know, I didn't have a fabric library. I didn't have this tool belt. So in a lot of ways, you think you're, you're hacking it. And sometimes you are hacking it, but I always knew the goal. I just didn't know the easiest path to be smarter and not work harder for it because I didn't have all of those things. And that's what we in the design trade really work so hard to get is who, you know, who's our book of business? Who are the people that can take our vision and make all these things happen. And that was a lot of trial and error to build that platform and get to something that could be procedural in a best practice way and still do unique design for everything that I wanted to do. That's today's moment in a much bigger platform, but many, many rounds of am I worthy because I didn't apprentice or train under anyone. And I think that um, made me feel like maybe I, I was, had to work a little harder for it.
1: So in, along those lines, you know, I, I don't think Oprah necessarily could have been much assistance in that regard, but was Nate?
2: Nate still to this day is, is a friend. And when I tell you the moment he showed up at my door, I mean, I, I had a three-week-old child. I mean, talk about seeing things upside down. I didn't know up from bottom. I could not believe this was happening in my life. And he was actually standing in my kitchen. And then, you know, uh, five minutes in we both Midwesterners and we had, you know, a handful of people out of Chicago, we both knew. And all of a sudden it was comfortable because he is the most wonderful and comfortable, authentic um, human. And he was just, I mean, he was so at the top of his game of who was watching him and his career and life just starting, um, and it was such a joy to be able to be in his company. And I and I think that allowed me to also be like, okay, something else was happening here. I I just keep going forward, Jen. It was a lot of that to myself that I think pushed me to keep getting better and better at this.
1: I find that so fascinating. Um, how did you? It, it it's so interesting too that um, you know along the lines of how to learn the business yeah. along the way. Yeah, I've said this before. It it sometimes it comes off negative. I don't mean it to to be negative. Uh, the magazines, the yeah. trades, um, it, we have become so um, so listical in everything mm-hmm. that we do. And mm-hmm. so TikToky, and so yeah. social media, and you have to have instant gratification. and You have to have it now. And uh, along with those things, you know, how did you fight that? How did you, and again, I'm kind of drawing back on your experience yeah. as a publicist, because yeah. I have the greatest respect for publicists because what they do, I mean, I, I think that they're complete saviors to the creative who doesn't know their path yet. They know their skill, they know their superpower, they just don't know their path. And publicists, I think, are amazing in that regard. The right ones just do a phenomenal job, but it's always up to the creative to sort of decide, I want to do this, I want to do that, I want to build my firm, here's who I want to become. How Mm -hmm. did you know Mm -hmm. the type of designer? Because one of the things that I like to do, and we're going to do this in a couple of minutes, it is so much fun for me, I love to work with creatives, go to your website and on the podcast, kind of talk through some of your projects, because what I find so interesting is that as a designer talks about who they are and where they came from. And the, the best thing in the world for me is to go look at their work and to sort of break it apart and take it down and go, Oh, that's where the puzzles come in. And Oh, that's where I totally get it. But how did, how did you define the type of creative that you wanted to be?
2: I, I wish it was as conscious of a thought as that, question. What I think is so interesting about my amalgamation of all these parts is that I would I would often relate it to kind of like the end editorial photo shoot. So I would go into uh, you know a new project or a new home and I could you know hear a conversation, hear what the client wanted, start to think creatively and I would hit these moments where I could start to see the photo shoot at the end of the project or the frame out of the editorial kind of page. I think because I had that background of PR and telling stories and kind of a start, a middle, and an end to a goal for what a publicist wants on a project. And and my years in PR were beauty and, and fashion in the later years. So it was much more about make the relationship, get the confirmation of that thing in into the press, you know, and, and that was the win. So I think I allowed myself to follow that dialogue to a design project and hear and uh, you know, hear about a project, go to, you know, go to the meeting, start to see what it should or could look like. And then I'd get these angled shots of like, I see, I see the, I see the cover shot to the story in, in my mind, mind you, this, was <laughs> this was never like the real life thing, but I could always see where I was going to photograph it at the end or where I was going to capture the story. And, you know, I, I often relate to, um, you know you hear these great stories about these little kids that just sit down at the piano and know how to play and you're like how did they just know how to play it just was their talent and i think this idea of a full start to finish kind of thing was what i knew how to play i just didn't know how it was all going to do and repeat over and over again Because really, at the end of the day, us as creatives, but in the design business, we have to know how to be mathematicians. We've got to know how to run a budget. We've got to know how to scale things. We've got to know what kind of lighting Kelvin is coming out of the ceiling. And then we've got to know how to finish it with the right vase and flowers. It is so big to so small. And that really is the superpower, I think, of what I articulate today is Taking a project of somebody's aspirations and making it either a family home, a showpiece home, you know, whatever it is that we're that we're able to define, but it it gives them the life that I think they don't even know how to articulate sometimes. And there's just a crazy world of the giant barrel of hay to the needle in that haystack that we manage all throughout 360 on you know a multitude of studio projects.
1: Where do you think where do your clients come from? One of the things it's so funny. So I always hear the number one place where everyone says their clients come from is word of mouth. I, I get it. it. It is it is the most obnoxious, annoying response because there's nothing you can do about that. No. And and it's a testament to who you are as a creative. But here's what I'm here's what I'm hoping for as maybe put the publicist hat on a little bit because yeah. I think two two parts to this. One, I think that is the area where designers struggle the most Yeah, is A, finding new clients yeah. and B, making those clients the right clients. Like, look, we can all get uh, terrible clients that we don't like working with. If you wanted to just give up your trade discount for someone to pay you a retainer and and give up the trade discount. I mean, you could do that all day long if you wanted to, but but you don't want to. So those two things. And then the other part of it is scaling up that clientele to get to the next level and finding the clientele, not just that you get, but that gets you.
2: Yes. Well, the the tables have turned a little bit and it's a really interesting question on two things that I hope we even have time to dive into the conversation number one is what is, what does trade even mean today? Because I think the world of restoration hardware and Mitchell gold and membership, you know, I get it, but it is not helping what the design community has worked so hard as a privilege to earn, to outline, to um, be businesses that, that are registered and, and, you know, ad- adhere to the tenure that we earn, and you know, in these in these companies that we've we've all been trained to look at this design business of, and that has changed not only the empowerment of the client, but our opportunity to make a living. You know, t- truly, because everybody's got a computer and a phone, and everybody's a designer, and there's a real definitive line today of who's the right client for me and for JFD in the sense of service. So when you talk about like, how do you find it? You know, I wish I had some magic answer to give to someone. The truth is you work really hard and you start to capture a point of view and people start to see that point of view and in a town like LA, which I think, you know um, so well, you know, I did one client's house. There are a few clients of mine that I kind of are my like leaders. They're my VIP, JFD VIPs forever because their one house had three parties, you know, whether it was for their children's functions or, you know, one of their businesses and people would come over to the house and all of a sudden they'd say, your house is wonderful. Who did your house? And that was what started to happen to me as I got one full home that one full home client turned into an artery of several arteries of opportunity. And that's really how I realized my business started to scale five, six, seven years ago. Cause the jobs had gotten bigger and then the eyeballs were bigger. And then things were breaking off in, in phone calls, you know, of, of I was at so-and-so's house and I saw your work and I went on your website and I don't think I'm really blue But I love how you finished the home. And I remember when the second kind of big client of mine had gone to client one's party and said, They're new friends. I don't know you either, but I loved how this house was finished. It's not really us. And I said, Well, that's good because it's them and it shouldn't be you. But I know what you're trying to say to me. And let's start your conversation. And so, that was what started to happen and that started to repeat and then it was not just Jen was trying to do one job or two jobs all of a sudden Jen had three jobs or four jobs and so this the slow glide started to happen you know where all of a sudden it was uh, it was becoming a business maybe I needed an assistant maybe I needed somebody else and that that was that was happening a lot in you know and. 14 15 16 17 slow and steady was winning you know the race for me i was still out of the dining room table but i was with a team and i was really trying to figure this out and then we got to the level of hey we've got a really big property in brentwood california and all of a sudden i was like i think i'm going to put a sign on this construction you know fence that's going to live here for a year and then I started having, you know, our signage on properties, and that became a bigger jump because two or three or four big construction projects had a JFD sign on it, and people would walk neighborhoods and see our signs on multiple.
1: On multiple I love ones. that. I really do love that. I think that that is something that um, not nearly enough creatives do. Yeah. And it, look, it's weird because it's weird. It, it's weird, but it's well, like well, but wait a minute, so. Like, look, I think that interior design is an art form. And you said everyone's a designer. Not everyone's a designer. Everyone's a decorator. The true designers are the designers. And I think that interior design is an art form. And you would never see a fine artist put their stake in someone's yard like, hey, you can see my art here. But nobody does that. But it's so important. And and I, I think that it's a tool that not nearly enough designers utilize. I'm interested to know, though, I feel like the past three years are a cultural ring on the social tree, right? How has the, the events that have transpired over the last three years informed the manner in which you create now?
2: Create. So that I think, you know, you talk about 2008 as like a milestone marker of time. And then we get to 2020 and my God, I mean, I just flat out honest because I am as raw as they come. I, I can't tell you how many weeks in March, 2020, I sat biting my nails thinking I'm going under, they're all pulling the plug. You know, nobody's gonna, who's gonna spend, you know, money on this? My God, the world's going apart. What's even happening to us? And the complete opposite happened. The interest rates went down. If clients of ours that weren't even on our radar, you know, those two or three leader clients, those VIP clients that I was talking about, all of a sudden they could look to maybe get into their next home and the bigger homes. And all of a sudden they were buying homes. I didn't even think about that audience coming back to me of Jen, we're going to, we're going to move to another, you know, house now. And the clients that could, and it's a small percentage, but you and I know living in Los Angeles is a different landscape to our opportunities that is never lost on me. I, I'm a Midwestern Ohio girl, but the work I can do in Los Angeles is because of the city of Los Angeles that allows me to do that work. So all of a the sudden, there were clients buying bigger homes and there were construction projects on such bigger scales. And all of a sudden, the business was tripling because if a client could afford to do what they wanted in their home and make sure that their lives never got compromised. Like we were getting compromised again. They were doing it. I want a bar in my house. I want the pool in the backyard. I want to live my best life because my luxury is living comfortably now in my home. And that narrative, I think for a town like Los Angeles, always very strong on in-home entertainment, you know, unlike New York city where I lived for a decade, you know, you went to maybe somebody's apartment, but you really went out. And now it's like, okay, I'm going to think long and hard if it's worth it to go out. Who's coming over to stay in? And that I do not think is going to change for a really, really long time into never. I think I think the difference now is people want to live in their homes. They want to entertain in their homes. They want the control of their lives in their homes And I think we are a part of that change of the world because now your home is the most important thing that you can have. And we are not in a dress rehearsal and nobody wants this to happen ever again. Please, dear God, never again. But if we all have to be home, it better be living our best life at home. And I think that's where this business got to an even greater level of importance to anyone's, you know, uh,
0: you are listening to my conversation with designer and music aficionado, Jen Feldman. We'll be right back. We are living at a time of incredible growth, both technologically
1: and creatively, with respect to interior design, exterior design, and architecture. There is no question. There are companies thinking differently about the business of design and how to make products super serve those for whom they're being made. One of those companies, and one of my favorites, is Moya Living. Designer and fabricators of some of the most stunningly beautiful, incredibly durable, and highly functional kitchen, bath, and outdoor kitchen cabinetry on the market today. Powder-coated steel with stunning lines, vibrant colors to fit any design style or aesthetic. A history of designing cabinetry for the scientific community. So you know it's been tested in some of the truly the most harsh conditions available. Moya O'Neill is the CEO and founder of Moya Living. She's the inspiration behind the design. Designers, their specification process is so simple. It will make your job so much easier. Check them out online through the socials at Moya Living, their website, moyaliving.com, and in the real world, their live kitchen showroom in Fountain Valley, California. Listen, um, to your point, once something happens the first time, yeah. the odds of it happening again are are pretty pretty good. Yeah, this was not the first pandemic. Um, it took a hundred years, yeah. but it it took a hundred years, and we got really really lucky because there were other things: swine flu, avian flu. There were other things that just didn't hit our our shores. They hit others, but they didn't hit us. And now that it's happened here, it will happen again. It's yeah. it's a matter of time and. Yeah. Um, because of that you know when i think about the the modern and i separate this i talk to international designers as well yeah but, but i i categorize them differently because mm-hmm. uh, the modern american home is different we we build different we think different we mm-hmm. live different it's just it's very very unique to the country as as in if you look at some asian homes if you look at some european homes if yeah. you look at some you know, Mediterranean homes, everyone has their own vibe based on a couple of things. And by the way, everyone's world is changing climate-wise, sustainability, you know, availability. Yes. That being said, sort of shifting gears, because one of the things that I, I kind of want to drill down on, like I said, at the start of this is I believe in the anatomy of the home. And you know, if the, if the kitchen is the heart of the home, you know, what's the yeah. brain center, what's the workout center, what's the, you know, where's the wellness center. And doing these little mini walkthroughs is such a joy for me. I love doing oh, it. I love and that. I, and I will, I will give the same disclaimer that I always give. Yes. I know this is an audio podcast and yes, I know that <laughs> we're looking at pictures and yes, we're telling the stories and what I encourage everyone to do is go to Jen's website, Jen Feldman designs, plural, yeah. dot com. go to the portfolio page and follow along with us. And yeah. it's fun. And, um, you don't have to do it now. You can do it later. But it, when you replay it and you go listen to some of the things we talk about, you actually get a chance to see Jen's superpowers in action. And this is what I love doing. And love the first that. one, I the first one I wanted to explore with you is um, Cheviot Hills Four.
2: Okay. Are you gonna? Are we pulling up the visual, or should do I? No, give, no, give no. The... Let's
1: just let's just talk through it. I mean, oh sure.
2: Give me you, the opening you... shot. Give me the opening shot.
1: Mm-hmm. I'm looking, it, it, it's on your website. It's the, the top line between, so you've got three projects. It's the one okay. in the middle. And um, if I'm looking at the accessories on the third picture in, uh, there's a book in the middle called Body of Art. And I think that's the only image that I saw that particular book okay. accessorized. And here's, while you're pulling it up, here's a couple of things yeah. that I want to point out. As it relates to your superpowers. hmm Mm-hmm. um we had talked about a couple of things um the, the 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 nature of the puzzle and putting the puzzle together in the context of a home
2: mm-hmm. and
1: mm-hmm. i i just want your your thoughts on th- the first shot and i love this because i am i am, my my background's in broadcast and yes. um, i worked with i worked with some of the biggest names in Radio. Mm -hmm. And I was told once a long time ago that everybody loves lists. This is before the listicle. This is before social media and everything became lists. But lists are wonderful, Uh, but they're also perishable. Yeah. The home, look, a good designer and a good architect are futurists a good designer is not looking at designing something for this year. You're looking mm-hmm. at 10, 15, 20, 25 mm-hmm. years mm-hmm. down the line. Mm-hmm. An architect is looking at 50, 75, 100, 150 mm-hmm. years down the line. For their lifespan of that particular design, it's not, <clears throat> it's not meant to last forever. Yeah. But it does, it's, it does have a timeline, it does have a shelf life, and it's not this year. So when I look at this first image of this gorgeous, beautiful white kitchen, the white kitchen is the one that shows up on both lists, the things Mm. that you're going to love in 2023 Mm -hmm. and the things you're going to hate in 2023. Mm -hmm. And I'm just Mm -hmm. so tired of seeing the white kitchen. It's like, look, the white kitchen has always been popular. It will always be popular. And as popular as it is, there will always be people who don't like it. Right. Cool. If you don't like it, don't specify it. Right. Right. Well, there's,
2: there's this interesting push and pull to, What's today? What's tomorrow? How are we always spending the money in the right places? Where are we going for the things that have the edge to it, that you're not going to be upset in 10 years, you know, and call and, you know, and want to do it, you know, over. And I, I think it's such an interesting journey of listening to a client. You know, I always talk about the trifecta. There's the client, there's the home, and there's the designer. And how am I giving equal weight to all three of those pieces, because really at the end of the day, let's not forget we're a business of service. So I am here to do what a client wants, what a client is asking, but I have an obligation to be objective, you know, about it for the sake of the bones of this house or what this house really needs, or what's really going to be right for the area that they're in, the way the light comes into, you know, to the house. So I like to always think of the largest decisions in the simplest trifectas, you know, of possible, what are, what are really the colors and the palette of of the three largest materials going in, whether it's countertops, you know, cabinet color, you know, uh, backsplash tile, you know, call those three things in a kitchen. And then it's kind of, what's the jewelry of the space? What, what do they want for, for the now, you know, is it, you know, can we really push into unlockered brass? You know, do you really need something more controlled? What are your lights, you know, that kind of frame out the space in a in a way that gives it your personality? So I like to think of those things as not so easy to change in a snap, but easier to change than the foundational parts of a home that you really want to make the right investment right away. And there's always a little bit of a push and pull, you know, in that world. And, and somehow this, you know, perfect secret sauce comes together of a unique design. And I think that's what we look for are those, you know, those aha moments over and over again, where we can bring all of those things together, but still have something that's timeless in a way that respects the money that's being spent on, you know, on any job, you know, because these are, and let's talk about this there is nothing about this design world that's getting any better supply chain might have tapered off but labor and materials you know it's a lot of things to make a space come together and size is not really what matters in a lot of it it's the ingredients that have to be in every project and there's a there is a a a real cost to to that investment today
1: and it's what you, it's to your point, it's what you yeah. do with it and how yes. you do it. Yes. And that's why this particular kitchen, it's it's clean, it's modern, mm-hmm. it's comfortable. Mm-hmm. It's from what I can tell by the imagery, it's fully functional. And as I s- slide over, I'm assuming, I r- I could be wrong, but I'm assuming that that dining area to the right of it, and I'm I'm dubbing you the Baroness of the Banquet because I have looked through a number of your images, and and I got to tell you,
2: banquette. I know.
1: I I love genuinely. I love the Banquet. I I do. I think it is a while. It's a throwback to the yes. 50s. Yes. It's also something that, to your point, you can have a workroom customize yes. a gorgeous banquet and it's not only a space saver again to your point yes. but it it can do so much for design and as i look through your projects i i, I see that recurring i i see that recurring yeah. fingerprint and i'm curious yeah. even in your most luxurious projects yeah. you're you're finding them there when did you start doing that and is would you consider that to be? And again, you don't have a style. Your clients have a style, exactly. and your job is to is to is to take what you do and bring it to their style. But I, I see it inside. I see it outside. Yes. I see it consistent throughout your design. When did you start doing that? And and is would you consider that to be something that you you look for actively?
2: Yeah. I think yeah. I I think there are these kind of hidden signatures that that show repeatedly throughout our work. And I think the banquette is kind of a perfect example of, of kind of a lot of things that we really believe in. And number one is the formality, lack of formality balance, you know, in a space, I think our wheelhouse is w- working for young families that have very active lives. And if you've got 15 minutes around a dinner table with your kids, you know, it you're they're already, they've already flown the nest for you, you know, these are really precious moments and i'm always thinking about redefining a family's pattern of living and i think that i think that a 15 minute dinner you know in somebody's house and having you know that space in their kitchen is 100% of the value of what a kitchen renovation you know c- can be about um, but i i think the banquet kind of you know idea started when we really had to make every inch count. And I think you also know in Los Angeles, I'm very fortunate to work on, on large homes, but you don't always, you don't always get those, those large bandwidth spaces. And you know, new builds now we talk about our 90% is really the family room kitchen. And they're always, you know, being combined in, in the new build world. But anytime we've had a renovation or you know a, an opportunity to redo a space where we can give them an eat-in kitchen, um, I think families want to be together, but they all you know quote as we're podcasting, but they want to be in their separate spaces. And I think we look at a large space for a family. And think about the two or three areas that everybody could be in together. If somebody's in the kitchen cooking and somebody's at the banquette working, are we putting outlets in this banquette so they can plug in their laptop? There's so many granular things that we think about to make it functional for someone's everyday life. And then there's a family room also that maybe somebody else is watching a show. So I think we're constantly reinventing how a space functions never compromising aesthetic. And you kind of find these little corners of space because really when you think about the simplicity of just getting an actual chair and leaving a two foot margin for somebody to get in and out of that chair, you don't always have it. And so I think you've got to really tighten in these spaces to to have the functionality that is a long-term goal for a family. And I think that's kind of what that banquette represents is... Thinking about putting a family first in a contextual way of everyday living and at the same time really maximizing every inch of length or width on, you know, a space or kitchen to waterfall and make it flow. It's very rhythmic. You know, I I think a lot like like music. You know, there's an opening chorus, uh, an opening beat, there's a repeating chorus, and I think we... Follow those. I follow those those movements, and I and I think um, I I I round the space in my mind in that way of high and low, up and down. What's repeating? What what anchors it? What's the repeating chorus? And I kind of pattern that over and over again.
1: Are you a musician?
2: No, but I just like it. Love music. I have it. it on all the time. Love it, and it allows me to think. I yeah. don't. I. I. I would guarantee if you talk to ten creatives, they'd all have maybe their different answers to it slightly. But I. I. Silence is very loud to me, but when I have music on. I can really get to some place different creatively, and I think it allows some part of my <laughs> manic brain to shut off and my concentration to free. Um, in, in some kind of crazy, amazing way. I don't even question it anymore. The team knows. They're like, Jen's coming. Better get that music on. And I, in my history of never, could probably say, I've never done a bookcase without music on to, to figure out how it all is supposed to go together.
1: It's funny, it, not to get too esoteric, but that's how I kind of view, like also the, the application of skill in negative space. You know, it's the it's kind of the same thing, like a a, an empty white room can be so loud that it paralyzes some people.
2: It's like a blank canvas. I mean, I'm the starving artist. And it's like if you give me a blank canvas, I'm probably going to just faint or something. I don't know. You know, it's scary. (laughs) But if you gave me a blank canvas, three glops of paint, two different brushes, um, you know, the four different palettes to, you know, to start mixing it in two different glasses of water. All of a sudden I'm like, oh, wait, I could take this and this and mix that and go here. And it's this, you know, I often joke, I'm like the Russell Crow in the beautiful mind, you know, something's going on in there that I can't really figure out how it comes out on paper, but somehow
1: it funny. comes
2: out. Over
1: and over and over that's, again. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah. Well, and and from there, I kind of wanted to jump to Beverly Hills One. It's the yeah. it's the last it's the last image okay. um, on your portfolio before you get to past projects, and this one is just so vastly different. Uh, I wanted to. It's just. It's, I love
2: this family. Yes. It's yes. it
1: is a it is a blast to the senses. I mean, between the yeah. neon in in a you know a, on a family room wall to. I, I. It looks like a, a cozy den with the butterfly yes. art, yes. and then to the to the um to the skateboards, to the art. To I mean, even the way that you your composition of your images, where you had to get the family dog in there, oh, and the no. and the styling of the photography is something that I think is lost on the majority of designers, mm, mm, mm. and I wish it wasn't. Because it's not just about pretty pictures, and it hasn't been yeah. for quite some time. It's yeah. about the experience that one has when they live there. Tell me about Beverly Hills One oh, for whom they it was are designed. Such and, a
2: wonderful family. Yeah.
1: And your your approach to this one because this one is very very different.
2: This is very different, and I love that you even called that out because I think you know as I I have a lot of isms that I say all the time, but there's there's you know this world of us that. You know, we we are avatars. You know, I I say that a lot. Uh, you know, I'm an avatar to my client. You know, I kind of put on this armor of who they are throughout the project, and uh, and I think it's a really um, critical way to think uniquely for for any client that you're doing something for. And this client, um, they just have a beautiful love story, kind of second second round of of, um, of love for, for the husband and wife and, um, and raising his, his children now together. And they had this incredible art collection and they had incredible pieces. And when they came to me, she said, I just need it all put together and I want to take it to another level. And we love all of our stuff and we might need a little bit more, but we didn't, they didn't need a lot more. They just needed it to have rhythm and make sense. And so Our job, you know, in that small, cozy den was how far could we push you to something really moody and juxtaposing this huge, beautiful front living room with this Tracy Emin neon, awesome, cool sign and these beautiful um, pedigree of, you know, incredible art. And I think this house was such a sculptural restraint for me of minimalism, but, you know, such a, um a beautifully full way you know this wasn't about putting more in these spaces it was about giving space for all these beautiful things to coexist And she was not afraid of color, which is something I'm really proud of in, in our work overall. But I think, um, we just had a, had a beautiful opportunity to really take this house to the next level. And, and Jen, my client was, you know, what do you think about a black wall here? I love it. What do you think about, you know, if we hung the skateboards in the hallway, I love it. And so I think she, such a fashion forward risk taker to confident, confident, confident. And it was just a a fabulous, fabulous project.
1: Well, I wanna go specifically to that that dark and moody family room. Yeah. Um, So I wanna ask you about a couple of the choices you made Uh, because it it just, it works so well and you could have gone in a couple of different directions. But this one in particular is just so striking to me because you've got the butterfly art. Yeah. And then you've got okay. So are those jellyfish? They are on the on the wallpaper.
2: Yeah. No, it's actually an uh, it's an Flowers? oversized floral. And okay. we rescaled that wallpaper. Let's talk about the privileges of the trade. We went back to that company and we said, We love this. Can you blow up the pattern like another 40%? You know, we needed it big and I think um, that Damien Hurst Butterfly <laughs> was not lost on me and we said how are we how are we making this art really you know have its moment in this room and the entire palette came off of falling in love with this inky navy blue you know wallpaper and really changing the scale and I think it's so important that that part, you know, my client was very capable of making very stylish choices. But the opportunity to get it right, right away from a designer point of view, on scale, on installation, you know, this is why we have jobs. And these are the details that I think make good to great. And it's not something that you can just do easily, you know, on your own. So the partnership was really, I love this. Let's go in this direction. And how far can we push this to uniquely make you know that room what it what it came out to be?
1: Yeah. So, but it's interesting because I, it fe- it feels different to me. I did not realize that you rescaled the size because I hadn't yeah. seen floral that big and separate as much as they are. So it kind of looked like jellyfish from it's, this one from this right. one. But what I think is so cool too is knowing how the lighting is. So you've got a window on one side behind the sofa, and then you've got the French doors. Um, But you used a, you used a glossier finish price, probably probably a semi on the ceiling.
2: Uh, Yeah, I, you probably are right. I, I have to even check the notes, but I think from the look of the photo, that's probably very accurate. Yeah. Which
1: does something that also I think is, you know, nine out of 10 people don't notice that, but what it does is it, it mimics the the windows and it winds up giving you an additional lighting source without having to put in an additional lighting source
2: well and and let's talk about the the conversation that is probably on every project of of the jfd moody room conversation oh my god jen you're gonna make my room so dark it's gonna Mm -hmm. be so dark and i can't yeah and every time i say california we have sunshine 362 days a year it's you know, the play and the, uh, the, the way that light comes into a darker room is so impactful and so, uh, and uh, you know, full of life in a, you know, in a way where I think clients can't always understand that. And I would say 9.9 out of 10 times, if I push, push, push for a dark room and they say, Oh, I don't know. I don't know. And I say, just trust me. And then at the end of the project, what's your favorite room? You know what I'm going to say, don't you? You know, they'll say that to me and I'll say, it's the dark room, right? Because I think it invokes a feeling. I, I say in my opening pitch to probably anybody that asks me to talk, I'm an emotional designer. How do you want to feel? How do you live? You got to let me in. I have to know how you think because my job is translating that feeling. And I always say to my team, we've got 30 seconds on a reveal to give them that feeling when they first step into the room. So how the lights are dimmed on a dark room, on a light room, is the candle lit? What bulb is in that lamp? Because those are the things that invoke the feeling that imprints the way they feel about a client can feel about a space forever. I really believe that.
1: I think you're absolutely right, I, and I also think, um, gosh, hearing you say it, the the reveal is something that is just all too often uh, glossed. Oh my over. god,
2: Josh! I am like it's like my Oscars with no camera. I mean, I am so committed to the client reveal moment and what's playing on the playlist and what is their feeling of coming in to the home. It's the most magical part of our journey. And it's a hundred percent selfless because I want that client to feel and experience everything that we have worked so hard for in 30 seconds is really what I get to have that moment happen. And there's this profound, you know, emotional thing that happens to me because I'm so high of, oh my God, I've made it all happen. And, you know, you never think it's all going to happen. And and then, you know, we get there and then you say to yourself, oh my God, is this my greatest moment artistically? Am I going to get there again? You know, I go through these all the time, but the goal for me in every individual client situation is to give them that Moment and that joy and that feeling because if they get that, it's a very high chance that there's nothing that's really gonna move in that room and that's really the win for us. You know the things we brought in for them to see that we couldn't really ask permission for that we just knew were needed to be in that space. Whether it was you know an extra lamp or a you know the coffee table books, the accents, you know whatever little things um, become the sum of you know
1: all the all those parts. You know what I love? We have actually covered everything. Origin okay. story to the reveal. Yeah, yeah, that never happens.
2: That's right. right, that's right. All right, I get. See, I'm a storyteller, so I really get to the end of it because that's that's where we get the gratification, right? That's where we get fueled up again to go. Okay, I actually know what I'm doing here. I'm not, you know, I'm not a sham. I I figured it out and that's the joy that really keeps me going. Cause it's, this is a tough business and yeah. I love yeah. that you poke holes in it. I love that. We're not being secretive about, you know, this it's hard. Jobs are hard. Life is hard. Things yeah. are hard, but I get to go into work every day, my own, you know, rules for myself, my own company, my own playlist, my own, you know, office and and I get to be on this journey, and I'm so grateful that I found this in my late thirties to be able to become something else, and it's just it's the greatest thing that I never knew was going to happen
1: i I love that too, and i'm gonna, I'm going to ask you for a favor um as i I've got a cup of a while until I publish this, but would you do me a favor?: Yeah. I'll date it. Will you send me your top ten playlist right now? I mean, like not right now, but like what you're listening to right now. I would love to know your playlist. Yes, I will. Thank you.
2: I love and, that.
1: And thank you for doing this. This was an absolute joy on my part. I, I love what you do. And I really appreciate the time.
2: I thank you for inviting me to your party. I love that you do this and it's your passion. And I hope it's the first of many because I would love to talk to you always. So thank you for having me. I really appreciate it.
1: Design Hardware's newly remodeled showroom is where you will find a gallery-style space with a thoughtful display of products purposefully positioned to allow unbridled exploration and discovery. High-end faucets, luxury tile, Natural stone, wood floors, and bespoke hardware selections are presented in a holistic manner, strategically arraigned to stimulate creativity and transition your vision from the conceptual stage to a fully realized space. Conveniently located, free parking available. Stop by to find your inspiration, collect samples, get expert advice, and tackle everything on your shopping list all in one place. Visit them online at designhardware.com
0: or in the real world, 6053 West 3rd Street in Los Angeles. Thank you, Jen, for the time the playlist, and the chat. Thank you to my partners and sponsors, Thermosol, Moya Living, and Design Hardware. I truly appreciate the partnership. And thank you for listening, downloading, and subscribing to the podcast. Please make sure you are subscribed so you get every episode the moment uh, every new episode is published. And also, I I love, I've I've said this a hundred times. No, literally, I've said this probably 300 times. Thank you for the emails and the uh, guest submissions and show ideas love them please keep them coming email is convo by at outlook.com and on instagram at convo by design convo by design with an x thanks for listening until next week be well and take today first <laughs>